With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're with Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. Good to have your company. Just six days out from Christmas Day. Although, if you're listening, watching from the United States, it's a week out, which sounds a hell of a lot more than six days, don't you think? Six days, nothing. We can get by with six days. Six sleeps. And I know you're all focusing on things like Christmas drinks in the week before Christmas, the feast to end all feasts on Monday, travelling to see family maybe over the weekend, uh, all the get-togethers, etc. But there's still plenty happening on the news front and, of course, plenty to say when it comes to current affairs and more than enough to talk about on our talkback lines. There's no ceiling on opinion. I'd love to hear what you've got to say about a number of big stories happening, and I'll get to those in just a short moment. If you're watching, listening, in the United States or Canada, you should know the number by now. Maybe the best way is to write it down or even better, put it in your cell phone, one 201 6425 From the UK, where it's just gone 4am, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia and New Zealand, one 300 In this edition... Why are Western military forces scrambling desperately to try and lift recruitment? Now, I guess it's understandable that we've got two wars going on in various parts of the world, and so therefore you never know when you're called up. But there's something like a 15% drop in recruitment going on in places like the United States and the United Kingdom, and something a little more, more drastic in Australia. Why? I wonder whether it's got anything to do with the administrations running those countries at the moment. Could it be um, it could be an entitled generation we're dealing with who's not used to resistance, not used to being told what to do, not really looking at the army or the Navy as a proposition for them? Why is that, do you think? I'd love to hear what you've got to say on the talkback lines. Why? Are Western governments so desperate to try and find recruits at the moment? Why have they dropped so much? My special guest today has an uncanny grasp of modern history and the small triggers that can lead to major breaking stories, major changes in the way we live, major changes in culture. Uh, his name is Jared Knott. He's a marketing guru. He's a Vietnam vet and now an author, and he's put together a fascinating book on history and a fascinating hook, that is, what are the small triggers that created some of the biggest stories in modern history? We'll talk about his book and some of the new stories that you remember from history and how they began. Now, have you heard what Vivek Ramaswamy said on Sunday night when he was having a pot shot at a CNN analyst? Now, I don't know whether Vivek is a little bit weary. It is the latter part of December, he might be a little bit, bit, bit weary because it's been six months full on campaigning, or maybe he's getting a little bit ahead of himself or full of himself maybe, but he used some, well, foul-mouthed vocabulary to describe what he thought of the political journalist on CNN. And 
I know what the political journalist said, and I'll go through exactly what he said about Vivek shortly, and it did warrant a response and probably a fiery response, but the way in which Vivek returned serve was probably grossly inappropriate. But you be the judge. I'll play for you exactly what Vivek said on Sunday night. I think it might be getting to him. Our environmental economist, Dr. Alan Moran, will join us on the program today to firstly give us his take on what came out of COP28 in Dubai and whether we will witness now a discernible change in the way global boiling is dealt with by individual countries. Plus, Australian states seem to have gas extraction and gas appliances in their sites. We've now got a second jurisdiction in Australia banning gas connections in new developments. They are so anti-gas. And I remember five years ago covering a story about even the green movement suggesting that gas was the transition fuel of the future. Get rid of coal and keep with gas. You know what I think about all this sort of stuff. You're not going to change the temperature of the planet no matter how many prayers you say on a Sunday. Um, It is just balmy leadership um, to then wipe out gas entirely, especially at this stage when, you know, their magical evangelistic renewables have not proven a thing, certainly haven't proven that they can take the place of baseload power. It's just virtue signalling, and we've said it many times before. And you'll hear from a Victorian woman who was jailed during the pandemic for daring to provoke her online followers from avoiding and ignoring lockdown. Well, she's in trouble again, Monica Schmidt. You may have heard Monica on this station before, but She's in strife over her fundraising. Now, she needed fundraising, as I understand it, to get through some of these legal hurdles, but they're calling her a fraud. And I thought I'd get Monica on today to explain exactly what's occurred, because I sense, as we've seen with so many individuals who caused authorities problems during the pandemic, they come back to get you. They target you. They cancel you. They forbid you from being able to voice your opinion. You know what they're like. You know what has happened to so many who stood up for basic freedom and rights during the pandemic. They've been got at. They've been cancelled. We'll find out whether this is another classic case of that when we speak with Monica a little bit later. Let's get into the show. You're with Chris Smith broadcasting live on the global news talk network. It's TNT Radio.live. Russia. Gas prices, COVID mandates. It just doesn't seem like anybody's doing anything about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You know, for many, many years, I've watched recruitment levels in the military rise and then fall and rise again. And I've always felt that significantly low levels of recruitment usually told us something about the country that they were living in, usually told us that the country is in some kind of turmoil and the military too is undergoing some kind of cultural change, which happens depending on certain changes at the top brass level. And right now, all of those factors are aligning in the United States, the United Kingdom and Australia. They've got a couple of things in common at the moment that they wish they did not. All three governments are on the nose. We know that. And the military seems to be on some kind of woke PC transformation. We've got to drop the mams, we've got to drop the sirs, and we've got to ensure that we're looking after the weeny weeny percentage of those within the military who may not want to be called a man or a woman. And it must turn off so many potential recruits. And sure enough, what's happened? Recruitment numbers 
are chronically short in those three allied nations, despite the possibility, of course, that the United States in particular may need to put boots on the ground into current wars. In the United States, the Army is facing a recruitment crisis, with the force falling short of its recruitment target at the moment by 15%. Now, that is a big number when you think about there have been times in the last 25 years when recruitment was above what was required. Now, the Navy expects to fall short by 10,000 personnel and the Air Force, too, by 10%. It's right across the board. I could kind of understand if the Army was down and the Navy and the Air Force was up, but they're all down. According to Pentagon data, last year, only 9% of young people ages 16 to 21 said they'd consider military service. 9%. And as for those putting their hands up, those who are in the service or the force, according to a recent study from the Military Health System Data Repository, around 23% of soldiers registered as obese in 2021. 23% obese. Let's just hope the Pacific doesn't become a third war zone in the next few years because the administration won't be able to fight that by proxy uh, as is the case, of course, in Ukraine and Gaza, they will have boots in the Pacific. But can I also throw this factor into the mix? And you may have a view on this. I'd love to hear what you have to say, what your opinion is on the talkback lines. Do we have one of the most entitled generations ever? And I'm talking about that cohort, late teens, early 20s. I think we may have. And that is our fault. As parents, that is our fault. There's no need to go into the reasons, and we have before in various discussions on that subject. We've done it before here. But maybe we've got a a cohort that doesn't like to take orders. Maybe we've got a cohort that doesn't like to sacrifice for better returns down the track. Maybe we've got a cohort in that high teen, low 20s demographic that don't doesn't like their life being perpetually uncomfortable. Because if you're in a war zone, you are grossly uncomfortable. And I think that could be a major contributor to the low military recruitment levels in the West. That's just a hunch, just a theory I have. And all you have to do is surf the web, you know, poke your nose into some of the younger social platforms like TikTok, for instance, and it's all there to see. In fact, the US Army is under fire from within, from its younger Gen Z recruits, the ones who've actually committed. They're getting on TikTok, and I don't know what their bosses think about this, but they're getting on TikTok slamming the US Army. Multiple recruits have strangely publicly slammed the US military for a wide range of concerns. They've mentioned how poor the pay is. Doesn't everyone when they're late teens, early 20s? They've spoken about a lack of privacy. A lack of privacy? There's not too much privacy in the killing fields of war. Uh, one young recruit, Shamar Williams, well, he had a good whinge, uh, which won't do him too much good when he returns to barracks. These are my top five reasons on why you shouldn't join the military. Reason number one is pay. We do not get paid enough for what we do. I'm not here to say that we get paid pennies. I'm just saying that we don't get paid enough to perform the mission that is tasked to us. Reason number two, family. You will not see your family often. You might see them on holidays, and and that, that's about it. I can elaborate. Reason number three, schooling. 
Now I know you're like, whoa, that was a benefit, but it's requirements you have to meet first to be able to get to that schooling. So if you're thinking about joining because of schooling, just go to school. Reason number four, if you're a parent. Now, if you join single and get married and then have kids, that's one thing. But if you're already having a child and you're thinking about joining, don't. You got to think about it. Boot camp is between six to eight weeks. After boot camp, you go to school. That's between 10 days to a year. After that, you go to deployment. That's between eight months to nine months. Think about how much time you miss with your child. Reason number five, you do not have 100% say on what you want to do. And I can elaborate. The poor petal. Wow. What did he think the army was going to be like? A 24-7 frat party. And by the way, he thought slamming his employer was clever publicly on TikTok. I've got no idea why you'd do that. Um, I'm sure they won't target Shamar when he returns to barracks. Not much. Now, another TikTok military influencer, Anthony Laster, claimed that army life had no privacy. What is this business about privacy? The pay sucks, it's shitty food, disrespectful leadership, and no sleep. Let's hope Mr. Luster is kept out of the front line, huh? Another complaint came from Sergeant Barber, age 25, who said the military is mopping those floors 99% of the time rather than war combat. Don't join, he warned. Isn't it interesting that TikTok seems to be the home for mass whining about the United States military? TikTok's parent company is Beijing-based. I guess that's got nothing to do with it. Uh, the app, of course, is renowned for pushing inflammatory anti-US propaganda, but I'll leave that right where it sits. But still, some US recruits clearly have unrealistic expectations of what the army is all about. And it's not like Top Gun. They've probably seen the movies. It's not like MASH or Stripes. It's one of the toughest jobs you could possibly choose. And you've got to wonder, if the low levels of recruitment continues at this rate, will the US administration be forced at some stage down the track, depending on what happens in the Pacific, and maybe they introduce or reintroduce conscription? Think about that for a second. Then they will be whining. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Joe Hoff. Just a terrible situation there, and Biden was behind it, pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went. I bet you more than fifty percent didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in in uh, Palestine. Uh, with the U.S. since since well under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down, thank God. But under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions over to uh, that part of the world. These people are, have been after Israel forever and, and uh, supported by Iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them not, you know, basically uh, create chaos in the Middle East, terrorism, and, and we saw what happened earlier this year, about a month ago, uh, the two-in-one attack in Israel and the death and destruction, rape and kidnapping, more than 240 people kidnapped. Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not far-right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk 
So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. It's very interesting how people react to recruits, those who are about to become recruits in the Navy or Army, whining about their job. Let me just go through a couple that have listed an opinion on the chat box on tntradio.live. Warwick says, I was living in the Philippines and they can't get the police or army off playing games on their phones. You get three lives when you play games. You get one life in real war. River says, "Um, I was having a look at what's happening in the UK and they were looking at conscripts and I heard today Germany are thinking about the same kind of thing. Uh, it's not such a silly idea. I mentioned it because we're talking about a drop of 15% in recruits for the US Army. Now, if you want to put boots on the ground anywhere, you better have no shortage of recruits because you're going to need boots on the ground. Um, one here, uh, Warwick says, airdrop political parties on the front line. There you go. Maybe the political parties uh, is one way to go about it. Um, I'm just having getting some word that the Northern Territory Chief Minister, for those who don't know, that would be like the governor of a state in the United States, uh, is about to fall on her sword in the next hour or so because of shares that she owns in certain mining operations and mining operations which operate in her jurisdiction. So as you could tell, just from that very rough description, there's a classic conflict of interest. And apparently she's going to announce at a press conference shortly that she's pulled the plug or set a statement out. So a major leader in Australia, one of the state leaders, this case a territory, the Northern Territory, about to fall on her sword. You know, if you have any fascination with the way history is made at all, you are going to love the book that I'm explaining in this segment. How often does it happen that a single, maybe even a small mistake causes an entire civilization to collapse? Uh, More often than you think. Readers of Jared Knott's book, Tiny Blunders, Big Disasters, 39 tiny mistakes that change the world forever will be amazed at the little things that change history in a big way. Jared Knott has had numerous articles published in US magazines alongside some of America's most famous writers, including in American Greatness Magazine, Human Events Magazine, the Menza Bulletin, the American Thinker and BPR. He was a decorated combat infantry officer in Vietnam in the 1st Air Cavalry Division. In his civilian career, he served as a vice president of sales and marketing and marketing director in the home improvement industry. Jared joins us live from the Atlanta area, Georgia, USA. Jared Knott, welcome to TNT Radio. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for giving us your time. What inspired you to take this particular angle of history and write such a book? Yes, well, the inspiration, uh, at least in part, comes from the old adage that comes down from Benjamin Franklin that for one of the nail, the shoe was lost. For one of the shoe, the writer was lost. For one of the writer, the battle was lost. For one of the battle, the empire was lost. The empire was lost all for the water of a nail. Well, that's a nice old saying, but how often does that really happen that a single tiny mistake causes an entire empire to collapse, you'll be amazed how often it happens over and over again. 
Here's an example, a single document poorly designed by one single clerk in one single county changed the outcome of a presidential election and led directly to a major war. What was the country and when did this happen? Yes, uh, that involves the uh, 19, uh, 2000 election and it's uh, down in Florida. Uh, and it's not the uh, hanging chads. Most people have heard about the story of the hanging chads. That was not it was a separate issue altogether. Uh-huh. It was down in Palm, Palm Beach County, very nice lady, I won't say her name. And she designed a ballad and she made the printer uh, larger so that older people down there could read it easily. And she designed it really, uh, kind of poorly. It was two pages with a series of punch holes down the center. It was very confusing. Al Gore was the number two name on the left page, but he was the number three punch hole. The number two punch hole belonged to Pat Buchanan on the right page. Well, in the surrounding counties, Pat Buchanan got maybe 100, 150 votes in each county. In this particular county, gets like 3,500 some odd votes, way, way more. He himself said it was confusing people punching the wrong uh, holes. So we would punch both holes, Al Gore and Pat Buchanan, which is out there, about 5,000 of those went out the window. Uh, so anyway, Al Gore <laughs> loses the state by like 456 votes. He would have won by easily three, four, five, six, seven thousand votes, except for this confusion. He therefore uh, loses Florida. He therefore loses the presidential election. He would have won presidential election otherwise, but electoral uh, college there. And he was adamantly, adamantly opposed to the war in Iraq. Well, they had this nice lady. Uh, on one of the morning talk shows uh, right after that and say, said to her, people are saying that you're responsible for this war. And she was in tears and she was crying. I think most people agree. Um, uh, I would have to join in that agreement that the war was a mistake. We never should have gone there in the first place. That's an old, long story. But anyway, we lost 50,000 lives and we lost $2 trillion. Uh, and of course, then the primary responsibility was the, was the President of the United States, but except for the single tiny mistake it would never have happened. Again, Al Gore adamantly opposed to war if he'd been president. It would have never taken place. What a domino impact that single clerk and a single decision had. I wonder whether she's dining out on that now or she's just as upset as she was at the time. She shouldn't be. It's not her fault. Well, she ran for re-election and she lost. Uh, and uh, it was not a well-designed ballot. We've all made mistakes worse than that. It just didn't happen. It's such a critical time. Uh, it was just not a huge, huge uh, repercussion there. Tell me about the soldier who accidentally kicks a helmet off the top of a wall and it causes an empire to collapse. Which empire? Uh, yes, well, the uh, empire that ended up uh, Well, I'll tell you just a second. But there was the two big empires in the ancient world one was the Persian Empire, and it was uh, moving towards a clash with the, uh, the with Lydia. And Lydia was led by an emperor by, by the name of Croesus from the expression "richest Croesus." Okay, and he uh, two uh, empires getting ready to have a major battle, major war. And Croesus uh, sent a representative to the Oracle of Delphi. Uh, he splashed a whole bunch of money around, a lot of gold, a lot of silver, uh, so on and so forth. He's going to get the uh, uh, positive prediction from the Delphi is who's going to win uh, the battle of the war. And that's where his, expre- his uh, expression comes from, uh, richest Croesus with all this money floating around. Anyway, so the Delphi spoke and she said that the uh, there would be a great battle fought and a great empire destroyed. And he somehow, uh, it was interpreted that, well, I guess that means that I'm going to win, but it didn't quite work out that way. So anyway, uh, the battle is that it begins and it's fought to kind of a draw, something of a draw. And so then uh, uh, Cyrus the Great was the leader of the Persian Empire, 
Cyrus the Great. And so he packs up his men, puts them in the ships, and they sail away. Okay. All right, then they think they won. And so uh, Lydia had the Spartans on his side, the Spartans go home. But they did not call him Cyrus the Great for nothing. So after about a week, the troops come back, and again, the battle is engaged. Uh, the, um, and the, the Lydians have to go back up, and they kind of get pushed back, and they go back up into their fortresses. Hi, fortress on this mountain of Sardos. Now, well, anyway, winter is coming. Maybe the Spartans are coming back to help. Things are looking kind of bleak. And there is uh, Cyrus the Great facing this great challenge. Uh, but then he, he may not make it through the winter, but here comes the tiny mistake. A soldier on top of the wall actually kicks a helmet off the top of the wall. It goes tumbling all the way, all the way, all the way down to the bottom of the, of the wall at the bottom of the, of the mountain there. Well, but then the uh, soldier gets off the top and he climbs down a secret passageway down the side of the wall, gets his helmet and climbs back up. And one of Cyrus the Great's men sees him. Look, 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 look. There's a secret passageway up the side of the wall. Well, the next night, a raiding party goes up that secret passage, goes over the top. They go over, they force open the gates. Cyrus the Great's men are there. They come flooding into the city. <laughs> they destroy Lydia uh, and they win the battle. But it had not been for that tiny mistake, instead of being called Cyrus the Great, he might have been called Cyrus the Chump. <laughs> <laughs> How funny. It's not funny. None of this oh. is funny. But it's it wasn't funny, funny. It funny at the time. <laughs> now, 2,000 years later. No. But exactly. But, you know, history History is a funny thing. And and little tiny things can trigger this stuff. You know, I, I think about the kind of um, tactics used by Ukraine against Russia during the particular war that's on at the moment. And people are talking about, oh, watch out because Putin will – We'll, we'll send a nuclear missile and that'll be the end of it. But it doesn't work like that. As you have proven only too often, it doesn't work like that. It starts with a small trigger. Something impacts someone somehow, which then explodes the situation and compounds the problem even further. Yes, you could make the argument that uh, the mishandling of Afghanistan the horrible, sloppy withdrawal that we had from Afghanistan, leaving 72 billion, some people say 80 billion uh, uh, dollars in, in military equipment behind, yeah. just uh, may have communicated to the Russians that uh, the Biden administration was weak and incompetent. Uh, it, it's going to be easy. I'll point out that uh, during the uh, Obama administration, uh, there was a lot of adventurism on the part of the Russians moving into Georgia, moving into Crimea, and the United States did nothing. During the Trump administration, uh, there was no adventurism because they saw him as a strong, aggressive leader. And then now that we had a weak leader demonstrating the weakness there in Afghanistan, that it encouraged and emboldened uh, Putin uh, to uh, try to rebuild the Soviet Union by capturing Ukraine. Uh, so that might not have happened if it had not that we had a strong leader instead of a weak leader. I don't know if you consider that a small mistake or a big mistake. Maybe you could blame the American voters. Everybody, maybe <laughs> I, I don't know. But that's a, that's a whole. No, whole you're right. You're right. That's, exa that's exactly why he did what he did. I've got to take a very quick break for news. Jared, we'll be back to talk further about this fascinating book and a, an interesting hook on history. We'll do that after some news on TNT Radio. What brings you here? News Talk Radio. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. After weeks of intense seismic activity, the Reykjanes volcano has erupted in Iceland with 100-metre-high lava fountains spurting out of a four-kilometre-long crack in the Earth's surface. 
Following increased drone and missile attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea, the US has announced a new multinational task force to protect the key shipping lane. And Donald Trump has vowed to deport the largest number of undocumented migrants in US history if he's re-elected next year. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT Radio. Yeah, some news through from the Northern Territory for those who wanted me to follow up. Um, we've got some news. The Chief Minister of the Northern Territory, Natasha Files, has now resigned over her shares in the Groot Island mine where she had declined to increase government testing on its health impacts. So not only a conflict of interest, but a decision made that showed that the conflict of interest was acted upon. The Labor leader announced she was stepping down shortly after 3pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. So that was uh, 25 minutes ago. It comes after online masthead, the Northern Territory Independent, reported that she owned undisclosed shares in South 32, a company which owns a manganese mine off the Territory's northeast coast. Ms Files had been in the Territory government's top job for less than 18 months. So we've lost a Victorian Premier. Um, we've lost a Premier from Western Australia earlier in the year. We've lost a Queensland Premier and now the Premier or Chief Minister of the Northern Territory. Let's get back to Jared Knott. Uh, and this is interesting. Let's go back to World War II, if I may, Jared. A small mechanical device, several inches long, fails to function, which changes the outcome of World War II and leads to the death of millions. That's right. Right. Yes, that... Uh has to do with the German general plot to assassinate uh, Hitler. Uh, Hitler, uh, shrewd, evil man that he was, said that the reason that so many assassination attempts were successful is that uh, the assassins knew where the, their target was going to be at a particular time at a particular place. And so he deliberately kept a very, very erratic schedule. No one knew where he was going to be at any particular time on a Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever. But the, uh, the German plot I uh, was able to, led by Henning von Treskow, uh, they, was able, they were able to lure, lure Hitler to the Russian front for a big meeting review of strategy. Uh, it was really kind of a ruse. And so anyway, uh, they, when they got, as he and his group got back on the plane to go back, to fly back to Berlin, uh, one of the German officers had a gift box that supposedly contained a bottle of liquor of some kind. Uh, to put on the plane, please take this to General So-and-so back in Berlin. Okay, fine. But it was not a gift box of liquor. It had a bomb inside of the box. Oh. And the trigger, uh, the detonating device, was a small device several inches long. Well, they put it uh, on the plane. plane takes off. You can imagine the conspirators are there on the ground, pacing back and forth rather nervously. The bomb was supposed to go off 45 minutes later, but then they nothing happened, nothing happened. They, uh, three or four hours later, radio message came back that, uh, the first plane had landed in Berlin without incident. And so they were, oh, somebody opens up this box <clears throat> and they see that it's not a bottle of liquor at all, but a bomb. They're going to be in big trouble. They're able to, one of the generals able to get to Berlin later and to go to where the, uh, the gentleman holding the box and able to uh, receive it from him. And anyway, they go back and examine it and the small little uh, device had failed to function. It had not, it worked just fine when it was being tested, but it did not work on board the plane. If it had successfully gone out and it uh, destroyed Hitler's plane, the World War II would have ended in 1944, 
hundreds of thousands of lives would have been saved. The map of Europe would be very different. Germany would probably be larger physically because when Stalin uh, designed the map, he cut away big sections of Germany and so on and so forth. And many, many lives would have been saved. But it was not to be. It was not to be. And then, of course, many of the generals were uh, were, assassinated, were killed in, in retribution for the uh, assassination attempts, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So. Wow. You're bringing memories back into what I did learn when I was at school and some of the if maybe, what if, like the scenarios are just freaky. That would have not only changed the map of the world, it would have changed, I think, history afterwards, wouldn't it? Yes, you would have had a different map of uh, Europe. Uh, Germany would have been uh, larger, would not have given up so much uh, territory. Uh, the Germans would have uh, surrendered to the British and to the yeah. Americans, et cetera, et cetera. They changed a lot of things. Another real close call there, too. Uh, at the very, very beginning of World War II, there was a man operating on his own. He's a carpenter. And he went up into where this one of these big uh, beer halls they had there in Germany and secretly chiseled in an, an opening area. They had put in a bomb right over where Hitler was going to be speaking. Okay, And he had this bomb. He had set the timer, I think it was like two or three days in advance. Uh, but then it turns out that Hitler, because of the weather, uh, was not going to be able to fly back. Uh, uh, he had to take the train, so he left early by 13 minutes. If he had just been there uh, 13 minutes longer, he'd have been there when this explosion took place. Huge, huge collapse of the big bulkhead overhead down on top of a lot of people, killed a lot of the Nazi officials. Hitler just barely missed it. He's saying, well, it was my intuition that got me uh, out of there, but uh, World War II might not have taken it. It was just at the early days of the uh, invasion mm -hmm. of Poland, and Goering, who had been taken over, was opposed to the war. It could very well have been the war had been resolved yeah. right there. The whole business might have been avoided except for that 13-minute uh, lapse. And that, that uh, I don't know, it's almost as if there was an evil force out there uh, having the brakes go the wrong direction. Yes. Goering would have had a greater influence on what may have happened. You're exactly right. How about the man who failed to gather his army in time to defend against an attack because of the temptation of opium and a young slave woman. That'll always do it to someone. That's, that's why there's uh, the two big weaknesses in men, I suppose, getting high on drugs and also uh, beautiful <laughs> slave women. But uh, it uh, has to do, it, uh, 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 by the way, the uh, young slave woman, a famous song was later written about the beautiful slave woman, but it had to do with the uh, state of Texas and uh, Santa Ana back in 19, uh, 18, 1835, 1834 had uh, declared himself dictator and there were seven uh, states or provinces and all seven of them rose up in rebellion uh, to Santa Ana taking over as dictator. Well, Santa Ana for two years with his army went around with great cruelty, crushed each one of the uh, states of the rebellion, each one of the states. And finally, it was time to move north to the final state uh, on the other side of the Rio Grande, which was the state of Texas, where the, uh, a lot of Norte Americanos were. Mm -hmm. So he crossed his over. Okay, and it was the Alamo, of course, a massacre there, San Jacinto, a massacre there. And Santa Ana now for two years has won victory after victory after victory. He's starting to get a little bit sloppy, starting to get a little bit overconfident. I uh, divide his army up uh, unnecessarily. And uh, Sam Houston had only 700 troops versus three or 4,000 on the uh, part of Santa Ana. Uh, and they were uh, a rowdy group, okay? They were uh, kind of out of control. One writer said that, that there was noisy, violent men that you find in any revolution, but Texas was overrun with such men. Uh, and they were, uh, uh, Sam Houston was retreating in the face of a larger force. 
and his men were calling him, you're a coward. Okay, you won't fight. Now, one of his, his chief political rival, uh, Burnett, sent him a note saying, sir, the enemy is laughing you to scorn. You must fight. He just ignored it. In fact, he dug uh, two different uh, graves there. Had a mark said this: these graves will be occupied by mutineers. So anyway, so finally, uh, Santa Ana stumbles into a, uh, a trap of his own making. It comes into this area that has water on three sides. The uh, Texicans are on one side, is on the other, and the, uh, the Texicans are, are say are eager for a fight. We need to attack at dawn tomorrow morning. But he said Houston refuses to attack. Okay. And again, they're just out of control. They're just criticizing very sharply. And then he uh, had a big meeting. He walks away from the meeting. One of his chief aides comes, talk to him, General, General, why don't you share your plans with the men so they'll know what you're doing? He's keeping his own counsel, wouldn't let them know what he was doing. He said, if I did that, I'd be a worse enemy of uh, Texas, even in Santa Ana. I realized, I grant you, this is important, if we had attacked in the morning, we would have won probably, but with heavy losses. When I attack, we will win, victory is certain, and I will lose less than a dozen men. Ah, my gosh, how could it be so short? So anyway, 3.30 in the afternoon, without any prior warning, he calls the army into battle formation. And they march into battle uh, against, the, uh, against the Mexicans, 3.30 in the afternoon, and the Mexicans are facing into the sun, and it was a rout. He uh, routed the Mexican army, even though the valley had number out of the Texans, routed the Mexican army in just uh, 18 minutes. Uh, Santa Ana is a, a, a captured and leads to the you know, victory and the independence of Texas as, a, as an independent state. But here's a, you know, a very intelligent audience. Let me ask them, why is it, do you know, why did he choose to attack at 3.30 in the afternoon? Why is he so sure that he's going to win? Well, there's two reasons. The facing into the sun was a factor. But the other one was what was going on in the Mexican army at that time. That was siesta. He attacked it right in the middle of siesta. <laughs> <laughs> a very low point of security for the Mexican army, plus the sun <laughs> and ice and so over like that. It completely routed the Mexican army totally. That's why we were so sure he was going to win. <laughs> okay, but you know, they, they, and the uh, the young uh, woman, Santa Ana, was distracted. He was in his tent, high on opium, cavorting with uh, Emily Morgan, was the name of the young slave woman. Uh, and Emily Morgan <clears throat> uh, was of African. And Hispanic heritage, and she was the Yellow Rose of Texas. Right. <laughs> and that's where that guy that comes from. Anyway, that was an interesting story. <laughs> if he had not been so sloppy or so overconfident, Texas wouldn't be a state today. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> how, how amazing. And then the Mexican kryptonite, which of course is the siesta. Would you describe the 39 cases that you've formulated in your book and told so well. Would you describe that as something akin to the butterfly effect in chaos in theory? Uh, yes. In fact, I mentioned that it was, uh, we almost named the book, uh, the uh, Italian Blunder's Big Disasters, The Butterfly Effect in Human History, uh, but that's exactly what it is. And uh, it was a, a mathematician, his name was uh, Lorenz, and way back in the 1950s, that's where the expression comes from, he was working with this uh, a computer a model in predicting the weather. And it was, a, it was a number with a decimal point and 18 numbers behind the decimal point, being infinitesimally and infinitely small. And back in the day, it was taking the computers uh, about uh, uh, almost 30 days, or a long, long time, to run up a very complicated computer program. So, but listen, 
let me uh, lob off about six of those numbers instead of 18 <laughs> numbers behind the decimal. We'll have just 12, and it'll make the computer program go much, much faster. Mm-hmm. Well, he was amazed at how that changed the outcome by the formula. It was like a domino effect, and, and it went a completely different direction. So he made this presentation to a group of mathematicians, and he said that means a butterfly flapping its wings in Brazil can set off a chain reaction that will lead to a cyclone in Texas a year and a half later. And that's where the phrase comes from. That's exactly mm. what happened in history. One little small mistake, and it comes into another, into another, into another, and boom, at the end, you got this big disaster. And these are the stories that you are telling along those same uh, the- theoretical lines. And I guess in many ways in people's own personal life, we have sliding door moments. And the sliding door moments might be an accidental meeting of someone, whether it's your partner for life or whether it's a friend or an influential business partner that changes your life. But these happen in real life too, don't they? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It also happens in medicine and happens in aviation. Uh, there was a uh, quick example. There was a man named Atul Gawande, and he wrote a book uh, called the, uh, the, Butter, not the Butterfly Pick, called the, uh, the Checklist Manifesto. And uh, what was happening was that uh, the procedures in the operating room were getting very, very complicated and mistakes were being made and the fatalities were higher than they should have been. He said, well, human, the way it works is that uh, somebody would get six, seven, eight years of experience. They were supposed to go into the operating room just from gut instinct and decide what to do. He said, but we're humans. We make mistakes and too many mistakes are happening. And he was saying, Gee, maybe it's gotten so complex that human beings can't handle it anymore. I wonder what they do over in the airline industry facing a similar situation, very complex situation, so on and so forth. So we went to talk to the people there at Boeing, and the conversation went back to a famous accident at the time, way back in 1935. It was the forerunner of the B-17, and it was mm-hmm. being tested by two Boeing pilots, their very best pilots, and they made a mistake. They took off the plane, and they forgot to turn off the elevator yoke, which is part of the automatic pilot system, which forced the nose of the plane up. The plane stalled, it pancaked down, and the two pilots uh, were killed. And they went back and they saw it was just this one tiny mistake that caused that death. Uh, and so they said, what can we do to prevent this sort of thing from happening again? And they went back to an ancient tool, the humble checklist. Okay, so we're gonna have a, put together a checklist with whatever 37 items, 41 items, the pilot, full pilot will go through it. This switch is turned off, click, click. The elevator yoke is turned off, click, click, and down the whole list <laughs> so that there's nothing is missed. And so the hum- human beings can only think of one thing at a time, and yeah. they can do two things, so they're going to think one at a time. And so this would eliminate a lot of these small mistakes. Well, that, of course, World War II was uh, coming up, and this it undoubtedly saved uh, many, many lives from accidents not taking place. Well, so I told Gwanda, they said, let's try that in the operating room. And they put together a checklist system, and it reduced uh, – Fatalities in operating room by thirty six percent. Wow! An amazing, amazing amount. Saved has saved many, many lives. Of course, now it's uh, been adopted uh, worldwide. There's also kind of an old side note. One thing they discovered that also lowered fatalities if everybody in the operating room introduced themselves and everybody was on a kind of a first name basis and improved communication. People were not afraid sometimes afraid to speak to the grand doctor and suggest something because they were just a nurse or something like that. But everybody introduced themselves and spoke openly like that. Communication was much better, and the fatalities were reduced from that also. But that was uh, one uh, positive uh, 
elimination of a tiny mistakes that it saved uh, many, 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 many lives. Very simple once again, but uh, so influential in the way medicine is carried out even today. It's, that's a fascinating story. They are full of fascinating stories. It's it's just the best. Um, tiny blunders, big disasters. Don't uh, don't miss the title of that book, Tiny Blunders, Big Disasters, if you're looking for it. 39 Tiny Mistakes That Change the World Forever by Jared Knott. Jared Knott, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you very much. Yeah, go to tinyblundersbigdisasters.com. I'll give you two and a half free chapters there, and it's a fun website to visit. All right, you got that. And where do we buy the book as well? There oh, on that website? Amazon. Amazon. You can go Amazon. to my website, tinyblundersbigdisasters.com. Brilliant. Thank you very much for telling your stories. Much appreciated. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. I no problem. It. Jared Knott is his name. Just again, if you're wanting to write it down, Tiny Blunders, Big Disasters, which of course is a website, but at the same time, it's a book and you can get it through Amazon as well. Tiny Blunders, Big Disasters may not come in time for Christmas, but it may come in time for that January period if you've got some time off and you want a good read, some fascinating true stories and how little things influence the way the world has operated, how the world has been and existed for so many years. Fascinating stories. The stories about the bombs and Hitler just, oh, sends a chill up my back. Um, we need to take a break and we'll do that right now. But if you'd like to be part of the conversation, maybe you can add your own story to all of this. Uh, maybe you've seen political leaders who have basically been lost to politics, been kicked out of politics by electors based on one thing they may have done which turned everyone off. I can think of a couple of examples now. If you want to phone in from the United States or Canada, you can do that very easily. You'll get straight to air, one 201 6425 Let's hear from you. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, one 800 670 310. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Remember that song years ago, Lunatic Fringe? I know you're out there. Believe me, I know they're out there. I simply watched these people in the climate change cabal and listened to what they say. John Kerry is out there, and I will give him credit. At least he did not say a half billion people like Hillary Clinton. But the latest is that climate change is causing respiratory problems and has killed a half million people. Now, where do these statistics come from? Are there death certificates now that say you died because of climate change? But we've got this guy from France, I guess, Francois Jimin, a professor at the University of Liège and a specialist in environmental geopolitics. What the heck is that? He spoke on French TV about the threats of cats and dogs. Listen to this one. Cats and dogs are a disaster for the climate. A cat is a disaster for biodiversity. Do you hear that, Maisie and Shooter? And a dog is a disaster for the climate. Positive proof, folks. The lunatic fringe, except they may not be fringe anymore, is indeed out there. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog. Oh my goodness, a dog. That's a disaster for a climate. Asking you to enjoy the weather, it's the only weather you've got. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. 
And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Hey, good to have your company. I do want to get to what Vivek Ramaswamy said on Sunday about a political analyst, a lawyer who does, well, numerous segments for CNN, but sometimes he can be rather annoying. And he got under Vivek Ramaswamy's skin. I'll play for you exactly what Vivek said, and you can tell me if you'd like to jump on the talkback lines whether it was appropriate or not. Miranda Devine, the Australian-born journalist who now is residing in New York, is one of the great journalists for that newspaper and for journalism in that city. And she was also author of the best-selling book, Laptop from Hell, referring to Hunter Biden's laptop. She was the one during the election campaign that was telling everyone that this is real, that you've got to know what's on it, that it has repercussions for who you're about to vote for. But no one was listening, especially the mainstream media who thought they knew best and they knew nothing. Anyway, Miranda has something else to say. She's been following the Oversight Committee, the GOP uh, members on that committee who are after additional evidence into what Joe Biden received as a result of Hunter Biden's business deals. And her latest input has come through X today, or otherwise known as Twitter, and she says, breaking, James Biden's business partner, Michael Lewitt, pulled money belonging to elderly Americans from an investment fund and transmitted it to AmeriCorps, which turned around and paid James Biden on the same day James cut a check to Joe Biden for the exact same amount as James Biden received from AmeriCorps. Hold that thought. Why would James Biden, who did a business deal separate to Joe Biden, be halving the revenue from that business deal and giving half to Joe Biden? Why wouldn't it be Hunter? Why wouldn't it be someone else? Why would it be Joe Biden unless Joe Biden was up to his neck in that business deal? Miranda Devine isn't going to let, let go of this, and she knows the truth. She says this came from the Oversight Committee, transcribed interview with Carol Fox, the US trustee for AmeriCorps' Chapter 11 proceedings. You see what you can learn from someone's Chapter 11 misfortune? You can learn the truth about the President of the United States. Now, is this presidential candidate caper causing some of the players to get a little bit carried away with their own newfound fame? That could be the case. You be the judge. Young Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy used a speech on Sunday to tell CNN's Van Jones, a political correspondent and lawyer for CNN, to shut the F up. 
You heard right. In response to an accusation by Jones that Ramaswamy was acting like a demagogue, Vivek let fly. Now, this all happened after the fourth GOP primary debate earlier this month, in which Ramaswamy said the January 6 Capitol riots appeared to be an inside job and claimed the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform. And so Van didn't take too kindly to that which says a little bit more about his politics. But anyway, Van Jones said on CNN that Ramaswamy is dangerous, noting that Ramaswamy will likely outlive Trump by about 50 years. Jones said that he felt he was watching the rise of an American demagogue that is a very, very despicable person. Gee, they've got, they had Trump derangement syndrome and now they've got Ramaswamy derangement syndrome. Literally, I was shaking listening to him talk, he said, because a lot of people don't know that is one step away from Nazi propaganda coming out of his mouth. A colossal swipe, which deserves some kind of retort. Uh, so on Sunday, while speaking at Turning Point, USA's America Fest conference in Phoenix, Ramaswamy laughed off the response with the help of some foul-mouthed remarks. Here he is letting Jones have it. We demand a government that tells us the truth again in this country. That's what we require. We can handle the truth. That's what it means to be a citizen of this country. <laughs> so I say that on that last debate stage to a bunch of Republicans that are shaking in their boots. These are the things you're not supposed to say in the Republican Party even today. And then you get the mainstream media. You got this character Van Jones on CNN afterwards saying, this is the rise of an American demagogue who's going to live 50 years longer than Trump. This is dangerous. I am shaking. That's what he says. <laughs> just shut the f*** up. <laughs> At a certain point, just shut the f*** up. Van Jones at CNN. We're done with it. How's that? Is it, should he say that? Is he allowed to say that? Is that beyond the line in the sand? Is that going a little bit too far? River says something in our chat box about using the F word. River says the Vivek Ramaswamy outburst is too close to the similar Elon Musk statement about advertisers. Is this a new play? Very true. Elon Musk. Um, they can go and get effed, he said, talking about advertisers that threatened to take their advertising away because they were being connected to anti-Semitism on the platform. And he said it twice. And so has Vivek Ramaswamy. Maybe Vivek was watching Elon Musk and thought, that went down okay. I might try and get away with it too. I don't know. I don't want my politicians to start saying F this and F that and he can F off. I think it just gets, look, it's one thing to talk like that in private. It's another thing to do it publicly and pretend that you've got to somehow, you're going to be the president of the United States. I don't like it at all. Maybe you've got a different view. You know what to do. Jump on the talkback lines and let us know what you think. A very busy hour coming up again. Plenty more to tell you about. 
and I'll also catch up with Dr. Alan Moran. We're going to get Alan's understanding of what has been decided out of the GO, uh, sorry, COP, the COP28 um, uh, festival in Dubai. He's got some really good insights into what went on, which you might agree with, you may disagree as well, but we'll take your call on the talkback lines. Dr. Alan Moran, next hour on the program, straight after news on TNT Radio.